Um, I'm going to speak a word this morning called untouchable. But before I go into that, you saw on the screen um, that we were opening our second children's home in Pakistan. Well, just a few months ago, we did that. And um, I've got a home in Kenya with 200 gorgeous babies. Uh, Many of them are either orphans or were abandoned by their parents. But our home in Pakistan is very different. Our home in Pakistan is for children who were slaves. And the fact that we're still talking about slavery in 2019 just blows my mind, if I'm, if I'm honest. Um, I went there purely for the Dignity Project. So the Dignity Project is an initiative we started because kids in my village in Kenya were going missing. We found out, and moms kept approaching me saying, Becky, will you pray? My little girl's been missing for five months. And after a few different months, moms approached me. I, I knew there was something going on. And finding out that human trafficking was happening on my doorstep changed everything overnight. We were already busy. We'd got a children's home. We'd got a church in England. We've got one little boy who's a crazy redhead and gives me more drama than any of my other projects put together. Um, So life was full and busy. But to find out trafficking is happening on your doorstep changes everything. And you have to do something. And so we started the Dignity Project. We found out that many girls miss a week of school every single month simply because she doesn't have access to sanitary products. I'm not going to go into great detail on this because I'm seeing half a room full of men who are now feeling really awkward. Um, But these girls miss a week of school every single month. And because of that, when she finishes elementary school, she simply doesn't have the results to go on to high school education. And it's at this point that the traffickers are target them. They say, come with me to the city, come be a cook, come be a cleaner, come be a nanny, whatever line they think might work on the girl. And the girl goes with all these hopes of a wonderful job and she can earn money and maybe even help her struggling family back in the village. These girls are never seen or heard from ever again after being trafficked, goodness knows where. And so the Dignity Project, we, we go into schools, we give these girls these beautiful pink bags Afterwards, you'll see there's a pink bag on the table outside. If you want to go and have a look at it, you can go and see what it is we give the girls. And it costs just $10 to take a girl through the project. Just $10 to help prevent her from ever being trafficked. But we went to Pakistan purely to do the Dignity Project. I remember reassuring my mom. My mom's a a worrier. And I remember reassuring my mom, don't worry, I'm going to go to Pakistan for four days and then I'll be back in the safety of England. It's all fine. Famous last words. It was on that trip we reached 1,100 girls of the Dignity Project. And the beautiful part about it is we're able to tell the girls, you know what? No price can be put on your life because the highest price has been paid for you through Jesus Christ. And because the Dignity Project is so practical and humanitarian, doors are wide open and we're able to go straight in with the gospel of Jesus and bring hope and life to these girls. So we went to Pakistan, reached 1,100 girls. It was amazing. But it was while we were there, they took me into the brick factories. And I'd heard about these brick factories, but once you see it... You can never unsee it. And walking in, seeing tiny little children, younger than my own biological son, seeing tiny, tiny kids working in the heat of the sun, making bricks day in, day out, having no education, having no life. If they don't make their quota of bricks, they can't even eat that day. And it did something in my heart. It was just like the Felicity moment. You heard on the video, I met a little girl who changed my life. 
I bought her a pair of flip-flops and she presumed that I deserved her body because I'd spent, what, 40 cents on a pair of flip-flops. And this moment of meeting this little girl, Felicity, was a, a non-negotiable moment of my life of, I have to give my life for this. And all of a sudden, I find myself years later in Pakistan looking at all these children who are slaves. They have no identity. They don't have any identity papers. They're literally owned by Brickmasters. And it was just like seeing little Felicity all over again, where I knew I had to do something. And so Matthew and I want to really thank you because as a church, you hugely supported us in building the home in Pakistan. We were able to take in, we took in 39 children. We've now got 49 children because we took a few more in recently. Children who were once slaves. One of my little girls, Mary, she thinks she's nine, but she's not really sure because she's never had a birthday. When you're a slave, you don't get birthdays. And little Mary, she thinks she's nine, but she has juvenile arthritis all through her hands and feet because she's spent 14, 15 hours a day, every single day of her life, molding the, the mud just to make more bricks. And when you're meeting children like this, it just breaks your heart and you have to do something. So I want to thank you as a church for getting behind one by one because your, your money and your support really has gone to change lives across the world. So I want to say a huge thank you. We take teams from all over the world out on missions with us. We've taken people from this very church before. Um, so if you want to come on a trip, we take teams to Kenya all the time. I'm out in Brazil in two weeks' time, again with the Dignity Project. So if you want to come on a trip or if you want to find out more, we've got a back table just outside. Please come and see me. Don't rush off. Please come and see me. Come and see the pink bags that the girls get. And if you want to help a girl go through the Dignity Project, you can sign up to do that. As I say, it's $10 a month. And it helps a girl per month go through the Dignity Project. So if you want to do that, you can see me afterwards at the back. But if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And I'm going to read a few verses from verse 11 down to verse 17. It says, Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the coffin that they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm losing my voice up here, so I apologize for keep going croaky on you. But when we go out to certain areas, there's sometimes so much need that we don't always know where to start. I often describe it like I've got a teaspoon in my hand and I'm emptying an ocean of need with a teaspoon and sometimes it feels pitiful. But God, every single time when my heart begins to become overwhelmed, every single time he takes me back to the one. He takes me back to the felicity. He takes me back to the little Mary in the brick factory. He takes me back to the one. And so many times in scripture, we see Christ himself do that. 
See, Christ has a very important mission. He's got three years. He's the son of God. And he's got three years of his ministry life to come and save the world. It's quite a big task to do. So if I was Jesus, I would find the busiest marketplaces, the largest crowds to try and reach as many people as possible with the hope of salvation. But Jesus often goes for the one. We heard it just on the clip before with Pastor Michelle, but the woman at the well in John 4, everything about that situation was wrong. Jesus should not have stopped in that moment. Everything about the situation was wrong. She's a woman. He's a man. Jesus, we've got rules. We don't do that. She's living an unholy lifestyle. And yet Jesus, this man who's holy and righteous and, whoa, Jesus, you shouldn't be caught talking with someone like that. Don't you know how she lives? She's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. Everything about the scenario was wrong. But Jesus cuts through the red tape of society to reach out and love. And sometimes in our societies, we've got so much red tape that wraps us up to mean we can't even speak to people. We can't reach out and love people because there's so much red tape. And I understand we have safety, we have precautions. But I love Christ, how so many times he just cuts through the nonsense and reaches out with love. It is again in Luke 8, the woman with the issue of blood. Here's a lady who for 12 years has had a problem with her cycles. And she's an outcast in society because of it. She's known as unclean. She's known as the dirty one, the outcast one, the one who shouldn't even be in a crowded place. And here's Jesus. He's on his way. A synagogue ruler named Jairus has asked him to come and pray for his little girl who's dying. The synagogue rule is important. This is a high stature person. And his little girl's dying. This is an important task, Jesus. You need to stay on track right here. And they're making their way with this huge crowd as Jesus is going to pray for this little girl who's dying. And this woman with the issue of blood, she, she sneaks through the crowd and she thinks, if I can just get a hold of Jesus, if I can just lay a hold of the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And so she does. She sneaks through this huge crowd and she grabs a hold of him. And in that moment, she's completely healed physically. Now, if I was a disciple looking at Jesus, Jesus stops the whole crowd in this moment. He stops the whole crowd. If I was a disciple, I'd be like, Jesus, what are you doing? You know, we're on track here. We've got places to go, people to see, little dying girls to heal. Come on, Jesus, let's keep it together. We've not got time to be slowing down. We need to rush on to the real job, right? We heard it earlier. Sometimes the real job is sitting down and coloring a picture with the child. Sometimes the real job is picking up that Lego brick and building yet another Lego set with your son. Sometimes that's the real job. And so many times we rush on because there's so many busy things to do and important things to do. If I'd have been a disciple in that moment, I would have been one rushing Jesus along. Jesus, we need to go to Jairus's house. This is important. The whole world's watching this moment, Jesus. This is a high profile moment. You'll get to prove who you are. Come along now, Jesus. But he doesn't. He stops the whole crowd. Imagine Jairus in that moment. His little girl's dying. Like, come on, Jesus, this is really important. This is not to be messed around with. This woman, yes, she's got an illness, but she's not on a deathbed. Come on, Jesus, this is my little girl who's dying. Imagine you're the woman with the issue of blood. 
Imagine you're the one who's kept away from large crowds for years because you know you shouldn't be in them. Imagine you spent 12 years of spending every dime you've got in the hopes that that next doctor might just fix your problem, but they never do. And imagine you've snuck through the crowd and you've finally got a hold of the master and you've received your miracle. How amazing, except that miracle maker stops a whole crowd to look at you. Awkward. Imagine Jairus looking at her. Awkward. But Jesus in that moment, she's already physically healed. So why does he not rush on and keep going to the real job in hand? Why does he stop and delay the whole process? You see, he stops and this woman who's been known as dirty and unclean, the outcast one, he stops and he calls her daughter. Do you know nowhere else in scripture does Jesus call someone daughter? Yet this outcast, this dirty woman, whose all identity has been wrapped up in this sickness, he calls her daughter and he changes her whole identity. It was so much more than just a physical healing. He changed her whole identity in that one moment. And the comparison between her and Jairus is so beautiful. You see, Jairus, we all know his name. He's an important man. He's, he's a big synagogue ruler and we all, you know, do a curtsy when he goes past. He's important. We all know his name. He's a wealthy man. He's a powerful man. He's an influential man. By comparison, here's a woman. We don't even know her name. Scripture doesn't even tell us what she's called. Who even cares what her name is, right? She's just the unclean one. She's the one who shouldn't even be here. But Christ publicly addresses her. We then, uh, someone makes their way through the crowd and says, don't bother the master anymore, the little girl's died. Again, imagine the awkwardness for that woman when Jairus is just there and his little girl's died now. Why? Because she delayed the procession. The awkwardness of the scene. Sometimes we feel like that. Sometimes we feel like everybody else's situation is more important than our own. Everybody else's need is more important than our own. But Jesus comes in and he wants to touch you this morning. He wants to touch your life this morning with his love. He doesn't rush on by, but he wants to come and address your need, your identity, that crisis you've been coming through. He doesn't rush on, but he wants to come and love on you this morning, just like he did with the lady with the issue of blood. He touched her. He then publicly heals her and changes her identity. And he then secretly goes on to Jairus's house and raises the little girl from the dead too. But he does that in secret. I love how God does the opposite of what the world will tell us to do. The world would tell you, do the high profile thing. Make sure it's all over Facebook, right? Make sure you capture that moment on Instagram. The God does the opposite of that. He's a God who's into the detail and he's bothered about your life. Even if you feel like your neighbor's need is far greater than yours, he still cares about your need. And so many times we see Jesus do it. He does it again with this beautiful widow in Luke 7. She's a widow. Her only hope is now lying dead on a stretcher. Jesus comes and it says that he touched the coffin. Now in Jesus, in Jewish culture, sorry, that's just made him unclean for the next seven days. What an inconvenience. Why does he have to touch it? He could have just spoke 
to the boy and he would have raised from the dead. And he does a little later on. But first he goes and he touches a hold of the coffin. It even says that the coffin bearers stood still, like, what is he doing? What, like, we have to carry this coffin, but why has Jesus touched this situation? This is a messy situation. What an inconvenience. You're now unclean for seven days, Jesus. Why would you do that? But you see, the truth is, Jesus reaches into my messy situation and touches me. He's not a God who sits aloof from society, looking down upon us, but he's a God who reaches right into our situation and lays a hold of our messy situations. The problem is, do we? Do we reach out and touch messy situations or do we hold back? Because actually it's a bit of an inconvenience, Christ. I don't really want to do that. I'll love this neighbor, but I don't want to go to this neighbor because, well, it's just an inconvenience to my life. 11 years ago, I was in a brothel and um, I was asked to go preach there. Don't panic. I don't frequent them on my weekends. I was asked to go preach in a brothel. Now, 11 years ago, I didn't preach. I'm actually quite a shy person. My husband is the extrovert. I'm the shy one. So the thought of preaching 11 years ago was a huge no, 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 not happening. Never, never see me on a microphone, not happening. Preaching in a brothel? No way. And so this lady asked me if I'd go and preach and I mustered up every ounce of trying to sound authoritative and, and powerful and I mustered up every ounce of strength to say, no. And that Nigerian mama looked at me and she said, you will. You will preach in the brothel tomorrow. So I obliged. And so I went into this brothel and it was a bar with bedrooms all adjoined. And I'm stood in this bar and I'd gone prepared with my nice, neat little message for these girls who were caught in a lifestyle that they just didn't want to be in. They were in a lifestyle where they'd been abused every single day and situations in life had led them to this place. They'd not chosen that path necessarily for themselves. And I'd gone with a heart for these girls that Christ wanted to rescue them. Christ wanted to redeem them. I'd gone ready for that. What I wasn't ready for was that on this side of the room were all the men who were waiting for me to shut up so that they could carry on with business as usual. Now, there's something about injustice that is just like a red rag to a bull for me. Injustice just, it makes me fiery. And um, I remember being stood in this brothel, being so furious at the situation. And I began to change my body to face the girls and tell them Christ loved them. And as I'm preaching, I literally had my back to the men. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, in the way that only he could, just begins to put his finger on your heart sometimes, doesn't he? He just has that unique ability to touch you when you really need to be touched. And he just whispered to me, didn't I die for them too? You see, I'd stood there in all my own self-righteousness and determined what, that these girls were worthy of salvation, but these men, well, they were untouchable. I didn't want to touch them. I'm here for the girls. I don't want to know about the guys. You see, the Holy Spirit had a different plan. In that day, many of the men gave their hearts to Christ. One of the men came forward afterwards and he said, Becky, I'm a Muslim guy. I don't go in brothels. I don't agree with that type of thing. But today I walked past and I knew I had to come in. Now I know why. I need Christ. And it dawned on me that I carried on judging that whole side of the room. Would he have met Christ that day? Or would he have just seen a judgmental, self-righteous girl who wasn't willing to touch an untouchable situation. I look at Jesus and he touches 
an untouchable situation. He reaches out despite the inconvenience to his life, despite the fact that he could have been unclean for seven days. Now, because he's Jesus, he raises the boy from the dead, so he's no longer touched a dead body. It's all fine. But the inconvenience didn't stop him from reaching out. But how many times did the inconvenience stop me from reaching out? Jesus, I love that family member, but while the other one, mm -mm, you know the history between us, God. You know what they said to me, God. No, someone else can reach them, right? Or that neighborhood. Well, Lord, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to this neighborhood and invite them to next Sunday's service, but while that neighborhood, you can send Pastor JJ for them because, you know, I don't connect with that kind of people. Are we willing to reach out and touch the untouchable? Or are we stood like I did that day in that brothel, in a veil of our own perfectionism, stood in all our self-righteousness, judging half the world, determining who's worthy of salvation and who is not? My challenge to you today is reach out and touch, even when it's not convenient. Reach out and touch, because in this scripture, it says that they all stood in awe and praised God, not just the churchy people. They all stood in awe and praised God because they saw him reach out with compassion, Will Jennings standing awe and say, wow, God is in this city because a group of people in this place decided to rise up and touch untouchable situations. I want to pray with you real quick. Father, I thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you for every time you reached in and touched my messy situation. And Father, I pray that from this place, you will raise up a group of people who will say, here I am, use me to touch the untouchables. Use my heart. Holy Spirit, will you soften us when our posture is wrong? Will you soften our hearts when we become cold-hearted to certain groups of people? And will you use our lives to reach out and touch? Maybe the person you can touch today is a girl at the other side of the world who will never be able to say thank you. But because you were willing to support them, she's not been trafficked. She's not been abused for the rest of her life, but she was able to stay in school. That's an untouchable situation. Or maybe today the challenge is to go home and reach out to that family member that you've not phoned for years. That family member that you've not had round for dinner for years because there's just too much history there. Maybe that's an untouchable that you can touch today. Maybe that neighbor, that person in the workplace. Father, I pray that from today, you would have a group of people who will say, God, use me to touch the untouchable. That God, people will standing are and say, wow, God is in this city. That you would be glorified. I pray that people in this place wouldn't draw people to themselves, but would draw people unto you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.